Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for your love and your grace. We thank you for your work in our life. And this morning, Father, especially this morning in this Sunday school class, and the Sunday school classes that are going on throughout this building, Father, we pray that your spirit would do a remarkable work. We pray that we would see Jesus like we've never seen Jesus before and we'd understand salvation like we've never understood salvation before. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would open up our hearts, both those that are saved and if there are some in this building that are not saved, and that, Father, that you would do a remarkable work in our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, our, our Sunday School lesson in your quarterly um, is uh, The Greater Miracle of Forgiveness. We're going to look at a story from Mark chapter 2. The essential doctrine for this particular lesson is that Christ is our priest. And we want to expand that a little bit for the adult class. And uh, it says in the quarterly, As our great high priest, Jesus accomplished the work of reconciling us to God. He is the one whose perfect righteousness is presented to the Father for our justification. He is the one who intercedes for us before the Father and prays for us to remain faithful. I'm going to read that again. As our great high priest, Jesus accomplishes the work of reconciling us to God. He is the one whose perfect righteousness is presented to the Father for our justification. He is the one who intercedes for us before the Father and prays for us to remain faithful. Jesus is our high priest. In the Old Testament, we see three main offices that Jesus then takes upon himself so that he can fulfill all of the Old Testament um, uh, laws, regulations, duties, requirements. We see that Jesus is the prophet, the priest, and the king. Okay? Jesus is those three things. If he's not the prophet, if he's not, if he's not a prophet, if he's not a priest, if he's not a king, he can't fulfill the Old Testament. You need to understand that. He, that needed to happen for him to fulfill the Old Testament the way it was laid out, that, that God laid it out, that these are the important offices, and the Messiah would have those offices. And so the Messiah came along, and he indeed f- uh, fulfilled all of those things. So let's look at some of these things right now so that you get a good feel for that. Jesus is the prophet. A prophet is one who goes to the people on behalf of God. Okay, A prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. And when, you, when we say the word prophet this morning, you don't, don't think about somebody foretelling the future, think about forth-telling the Word, proclaiming the Word. A prophet was one who proclaimed the Word of God. And in the Old Testament, certainly, those people that proclaimed the Word of God were given the message directly by God, and oftentimes, that message contained something about the future. But by and large, it was proclaiming the message of God to the people for God, all right? That's what a prophet is in the Bible. So Jesus is the prophet. Let's turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 28. We have quite a bit to cover this morning. Jesus said in John 28, 8, 28, it says, So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. A good prophet is only going to speak the things on behalf of the Father. That's what the prophet's about. I'm not coming to you with my wisdom. I'm not coming to you with my ideas. I'm not coming to you with, with those, those things that might be catchy or creative. I'm doing this for God, on behalf of God. When God speaks, I report it to you. Okay? And that's, that's exactly who Jesus was. Chapter 12, verse 49. It says this, For I did not speak in my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command as to what to say and what to speak. Go over to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And we'll begin reading at verse 19. Acts 3, 19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send Jesus the Christ appointed to you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient times. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Referring to 
Jesus. Okay? He's the prophet. He was indeed, it was very clear. Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our priest. Prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. A priest goes to God on behalf of the people. Okay, so that's the difference. And I'm sure you know that, all right? A prophet goes to the people from God. A priest goes to God from the people. All right? Jesus is also our priest. Hebrews chapter 6. Now, you read Hebrews and you'll read a lot about Jesus being the priest. You'll read a lot about Jesus being the best, the better, the greater priest. He's the one. All of those ones in the Old Testament, they all had some flaws. They were all human. They all ended their priestly duty. Jesus never did. And you read about that in Hebrews over and over again. Hebrews chapter 6, there's a lot in Hebrews about Jesus being the priest, our great high priest. 6.20, we'll do 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul and a hope sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I don't want to go into it in great detail today, but you need to understand that Jesus was not a priest after the, after the Old Testament priesthood because, who can tell me why he wasn't? He wasn't a Levite. He wasn't in that family. He could not be that priest. He wasn't in that family. He was, in fact, of the royal, the kingly line, okay, not of the priestly one. So, one of the things that went on was there was another priesthood that wasn't, in, that wasn't you know, regularly talked about in the Old Testament, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And we were introduced to this priesthood of Melchizedek with Abraham. And Abraham is introduced to him, and the Bible talks about that, and then Hebrews talks about that. And we're not going to go into that, but I wanted you to know that because we read the word that the, the Bible, what God did was he established the priesthood of Melchizedek and introduced it to us with Abraham and then reintroduced it to us in the book of Hebrews so that we would understand that Jesus is by law our high priest. This isn't something that God rearranged or changed. He said this is the way it needs to be. And so you can read about Melchizedek right here in Hebrews and it kind of lays it out about what went on and you can go back and read about it in Genesis with Abraham as well. Okay, and so I'm just going to throw that out there and then we're going to move along because I don't have time to do Melchizedek today. But we will again another day, I promise. Hebrews chapter 9. Beginning in verse number 15. For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats and the water and the scarlet wood and hyssop and sprinkled both uh, the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Therefore... It was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifest to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as much as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. The whole point of all of this is to make you understand that Jesus is the better, lays that out very clearly, that Jesus is a, a, a priest in a different way because the problem with all of the priests in the Old Testament, as Hebrews points out here, is twofold. One, they died. Two, 
they had sin issues themselves. Okay? Our high priest, Jesus Christ, conquered death, lived still, and he never had to deal with his sin. He just dealt with our sin. Okay? And that's what Hebrews points out on a regular basis. First Peter, uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 5, 1 Peter, or 1 Timothy, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus is our high priest. There's a lot more passages where it talks about Jesus being our high priest. In, in Hebrews, there's a ton of places. Um, certainly in uh, the Gospels, when Jesus especially was praying for us, in John chapter 17 when he's praying for us, uh, really that's the high priestly prayer. So there's times where it declares that Jesus Christ is the priest. He went to God on behalf of us. And Jesus lives evermore to seek intercession for you, the Bible says. He's still doing that. He is still doing that, okay? The big issue, though, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He was the priest, and he was the, the mediator between God and man, and he died for you. He cleansed your sin. He, as we'll talk about in just a moment, is propitiation, um, okay, for us, all right? The third one is that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king, and just a couple of verses on that. Go to Matthew chapter 2. And we read very clearly in Matthew, and then we're going to go to Matthew 27 if you want to kind of head on over that direction. Matthew 2, 2 says simply this, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have saw a star in the east and come to worship him. In Matthew 27, verse 11, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he said, It is as you say. Uh, yes, I am the king of the Jews. Okay? Yes, I am indeed the king of the Jews. So Jesus is our great high priest. He is also our prophet and our king. And he has fulfilled all of those types from the Old Testament. He has become the real deal for all of those shadows. A type is something that is pointing to something else. We read about it in the Old Testament, and then we see it come alive in the New Testament. And all of those things were pointing toward Jesus Christ. And when he came and fulfilled all the prophecies, when all those things were uttered about him, those Old Testament scholars, those people that knew the Bible, they would be able to look at Jesus and say, wow, he's the one. Okay, he's the one. And the reason they weren't able to do that, obviously, is because they had corrupted the system. But we do see in the Bible that there were enough people that did that to understand that that's exactly what's going on. There were people in the Bible that looked at the Old Testament, looked at Jesus and said, clearly, he's the one. He is fulfilling all of these things. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And he's the Messiah. Okay, and so Jesus Christ came and he declared that that was the case with him without any doubt at all. All right? So, real quick, a little... little little thing that we just need to be aware of. Turn with me to our lesson for the day, which is Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Let's read beginning in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. When he came back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came to him, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they laid down, they let, let down, sorry, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, had they been reading their Bibles well, they would have known it. Okay, anyway. So, immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they are reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Great verse, number nine. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? But so that you may know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, 
I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he immediately got, and he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Isn't that a great story? Jesus, and, it's, and it's, it's unbelievably wonderful how Jesus dealt with this. When he said, your sins are forgiven, and they said, how dare you? Well, they didn't say it. They were thinking, how dare him do that? He, only God can do that. He's blaspheming. And for Jesus to say, okay, okay, hold on. Which is easier? Which is harder? Which is more difficult? Which one proves that I'm God? That I say your sins are forgiven, or that I say, pick up your pallet, walk, and go on your way? Both of them are remarkable deals, aren't they? And so he said, okay, all right. Why don't you pick up your pallet and go ahead and walk? Your sins are forgiven and you're healed. Okay? And, and what the people did is, it's, it's an interesting thing, in the end of verse 12 it says, so they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying we have se- never seen anything like this. Our lesson this morning, the, the title of it, is The Greater Miracle of Forgiveness. Let me read to you the beginning of the quarterly, an introduction as we go on this morning. The author of this particular lesson says this. While meeting with a man at my job for coffee one day, I asked him to share his story with me. Knowing that I was a bivocational pastor, he led by telling me of his involvement with the church from a young age. He expressed to me how he came from a line of pastors that stretched back four generations. Then I asked him how he came to embrace Jesus as Savior, but he gave me a puzzled look. Noticing he was confused, I phrased the question differently by asking him about when he had heard the gospel, confessed his sin, and embraced God's plan of salvation through Jesus. While looking at me with a blank stare, I could tell he was struggling to answer the question. Finally, he broke the silence by saying he knew God saved him when he was delivered from a car accident. I probed a little further and asked him to unpack what he meant by that. He then told me a story of when he was driving, rushing to get to his next destination, when he turned too quickly, hit a curb, which forced his car to spin out of control and crash into a tree. He said during the second's following losing control of the car, he cried out for Jesus to protect him. After his car came to a stop and the dust had settled, he unbuckled himself and crawled out through the missing windshield. He then said he knew he was saved because God answered his prayer by protecting him from death. Our Sunday school lesson this morning is pretty simple, and it is simply this. What is salvation and why do I need it? That's our lesson this morning. Okay, What is salvation and why do I need it? Every single person who's in the building today in Sunday school is getting the same lesson. You know that. That's the way it works. But today's emphasis is on salvation in every single classroom today. I have told you this over and over again. I have asked you, if you bring somebody to Sunday school, I I would encourage you to talk about Sunday school on the way home. Today I want to implore you to do that one more time. I I don't care whether you are convinced that your child or your grandchildren are saved or not today. Whether you believe they're saved or not does not matter one iota. Please, 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 please take the opportunity on the way home or later today, over lunch, sometime today, talk to your child or your grandchildren about what they learned in Sunday school today about salvation. Okay? I say things like this every now and again, and I'm going to reiterate it to you. Of all the things that we do in this church, so much of it is what I call window dressing. Don't be offended by that. It's just a phrase. The issue, above all issues, is what? Salvation. It doesn't matter what we do if we don't get that right. It doesn't matter what the church looks like. It doesn't matter the programs we have. It doesn't matter how slick and wonderful this is or that is or the other thing is. It doesn't matter how we do anything if we don't get salvation right. The main issue of life over and over again is what is salvation and why do I need it? So I'm going to ask you again. Today, sometime today, make sure you talk to your child about what went on in Sunday school, and I'll talk specifically about what they talked about before we're done here, okay? For our purposes this morning, what is salvation and why do I need it? I have gone to a lot of funerals over the years. Obviously, I've performed a lot of funerals. I have officiated a lot of funerals, but I've attended a lot of funerals. Because I know a lot of people, and you're associated with people, and, 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 you're, and it's the right thing to do. And, and I have learned something over the years. I have learned that there are a whole ton of pastors out there, people who call themselves pastors, people who say they represent churches. There's a whole lot of people out there that have told a whole lot of people 
that the only thing you have to do to go to heaven is die. I hear that in funeral after funeral after funeral. The only thing you really need to do to go to heaven is die. Now, they never say those words. But what they do is they say the dear departed is in heaven today. And the dear departed is in heaven today because, well, God loved them. False gospel. And if I could be bold with you this morning, an out-and-out lie. Okay? Let's talk about the gospel this morning. Let's talk about what salvation is and why it is so important and what needs to happen with salvation. First of all, let's talk about what people cling to that they believe will get them into heaven, but the Bible clearly says won't get them into heaven. Let's do that, and I want you to share with that. What are some of the false assumptions that people cling to that say, I'm going to go to heaven when I die? What are those? Good works. Very good. The, okay, hold on. Go slow. Good, good works, good behavior. We'll put those together. Good works, very good. And that's the reason why so many pastors share those things that I shared with you, that, that so-and-so is in heaven today because they were what? what? I'm sorry. Too many of you said it at the same time. Do it again. Because they were good people. Very good. They were good people. They was, this is a good person. This is a good person. Of all the funerals I've ever done, I've only had one. <laughs> and it was funny. It was one of my first funerals as a young pastor. I've only ever had one person ever where I did a funeral where I thought, I don't know if they're a good person. And that's because the sweetest lady in the world called me and said, don't you say nice things about him. Because he was not a nice person. <laughs> okay. She was our organist. She was the sweetest lady, and she called me. I didn't know this guy. He didn't go to the church. You know, it was one of those deals that, don't you say nice things about him. <laughs> I don't know him, Esther. So anyway, so I didn't say he was a nice guy. But everybody else you generally say at funerals, what? They were a nice guy. When was the last time you went to the funeral and, and heard somebody talk about the fact that this person was a lousy husband and a horrible father and drank like you wouldn't believe and lied and gambled? You don't, we don't share that at funerals, do we? We share the fact that they were good people at funerals. And we share that they're good people at funerals, and then we say, you know what? They did some really nice things in their life, and so, you know, probably they're in heaven. What are some other reasons? What's another one? Yes? I've always gone to church. My parents went to church, and my grandparents went to church. I'm a churchgoer. That's exactly right. And only churchgoers go to heaven. That's exactly right. And God is obligated to take me to heaven now because I went to church. That's exactly right. That's another reason. That's exactly right. Yes, sir? I got baptized. I jumped through a religious hoop. That's exactly right. I did a religious thing. I, and, and let's run with that one a little bit. I got baptized. I grew up in a system where I was baptized as an infant, but then I went through this thing called catechism or confirmation. I was confirmed. I, did, I jumped through religious hoops. And that's right along the fact with I went to church. That's exactly right. Okay? Yes? That's right. That's right. And that's a, anytime we do religious hoops, we have them out of order. That's exactly right. That's exactly what we do. That's exactly right. Another reason why people say they're going to heaven. God's, uh, or God's going to weigh my good works against my bad, and if my good works outweigh my bad, right. then the, I'm going to go. The good works thing, the balance thing. If I do more good than bad overall in my life, I get to go to heaven. That's exactly right. Why else? I tried. That's exactly right. I was sincere in my efforts to be religious or be good or do whatever. That's exactly right. Yes? Jesus loves me. That's exactly right. God loves me. And in fact, and in fact, there was a, there was a very popular theologian a few years ago who wrote a book called Love Wins. Okay? And he went off the deep end and, and he embraced this thing that is called universalism. Everybody is saved. Okay, everybody is saved. Love wins. That's exactly right. Is that Jesus loves me, and we hear that all the time, do we not? And are we going to argue with that? No, we're not going to argue with that. Of course God loves us. You bet he does. He wouldn't send us to hell if he loves us. That's exactly right. Okay, we'll stop there for a while, unless there's somebody else dying with another reason. That, that's kind of, we kind of covered most of it there. And here's the deal. All of those reasons that we just looked at, all of those reasons, we say those are the reasons are people going to heaven because we have reasoned it to be so. We have reasoned it to be so. Now, there's a few of those things that we'll read that, that will say that I believe I'm going to heaven because my church doctrine says that. And I actually read those words. 
But mostly, mostly, it's because we've reasoned it to be so. Okay? How many times, and, and let, me, let me just give you a little bit more reason why this is the case of what I say earlier, that, that the vast majority of people really believe the only thing you need to do to go to heaven is to die. How many times have you heard somebody say about a person who has died because, you know, and, they've had, and they had a very difficult time and they had a disease or whatever, and you hear that person say, well, they're not suffering anymore, or they're in a better place now. And, and if we were really bold, which we're not a lot of times, we'd say, and what place is that? That's a hard thing to ask a person when they're grieving, but that's the question that comes to my mind a lot. What place is that? Okay, we believe that that's the case. And, and by and large, the world believes in a thing called universal salvation. Okay? That people go to heaven. And it's because we have reasoned it so in our mind. It makes sense to us. Right? Absolutely. Mark says we've made God in our own image, and that's exactly what we've done. And that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay? Now, if we're going to play that game out, we do a poor job of <laughs> because the truth of the matter is you don't get to go to heaven because you're not a nice person. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Life is hard, and a person without Christ has to come up with that. That's exactly right. Okay, so that's enough of that. We don't get our cues from what we think is best, and we don't get our cues from church doctrine, and we don't get our cues from books written by theologians, and we don't get our cues from history, and we don't get our cues from uh, what we think it ought to be. We get our cues, and we follow spiritual truth because we find those answers in the Bible. That's exactly right. What does the Bible say? Okay? And the Bible talks about a thing called the gospel. We talk about a thing called the gospel on a regular basis. Okay? And the reason why we do that is because the Bible is all about the gospel. All right? Somebody lay on with me, give me four or five words that describe the problem, the situation, and the solution to this whole thing about a person and being saved that is tied in with the gospel. Can somebody do that? Four or five words. You know, I don't need a lengthy explanation. Just if you can do it, kind of summarize it in some words. Sin. Sin. Deserve death. God sent Jesus to take our place. We believe in him. That's good. Would you have your hand up? No? Anybody else? That's good. That, that type thing is exactly what the gospel is all about. Okay, we have a sin issue, right? Okay, what's the sin issue? We're born that way, and we what? Which is? Going against God. We, we're born that way, we have this issue. There's a sin issue. And not only are we born that way, but we, we act that way then. We're born that way, we act that way. We sin, do we not? Anybody in this room have a problem with that? Anybody in this room we need to have a conversation with because they say, I don't know what you're talking about, Kent, because I'm not, I'm not there. Okay, we all sin. Okay, we all have an issue. We sin. Okay, and the Bible says that when we sin, what happens? We're separated from God. We're separated from God. And the reason why we're separated from God is because the Bible says that what happens when we sin? We die. We die. We're separated from God because we die. That's exactly right. All the way back in Genesis, it says that if you eat of that, you will die. We die. And that death is talked about, the best phrase is what Doris said, we're separated from God. That's exactly right. In order to be close to God, then, here's the issue. Here's where, here's where the breakdown falls apart, or here's where the, the, the uh, understanding falls apart. Because there's a lot of people that will say, yep, there's a sin. There is sin. And a lot of people will say, yep, there's separation from God because he said you need to live a certain way. The next one is the, the essential one, okay? Because what happens for me in order to, how do I fix that separation? Exactly right. What we say is we'll do it. And we'll do it through what you guys talked about over and over again. Through, and we can summarize it by, by and large, good works or religious hoop jumping. Okay? We'll fix that separation problem. The problem with that is that the Bible teaches us that that separation can only be fixed by Jesus. 
Uh, nope, not yet. Not yet. Almost. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Not quite. That separation has to be fixed by something else. Yes. Death. Blood. Perfect sacrifice. Perfect sacrifice is what fixes that. What Jesus accomplished. Exactly right. In the Old Testament, we see all of that laid out by a perfect lamb. That is, I used the word earlier, that is a no, not yet. The, the word I used earlier, what? Type. type. I did use propitiation. A type. That's a type. Way to go. You're a pastor's wife, though, so you don't get quite as much credit as somebody else. But, but that was a good answer. Thanks. That's a type. And the Lamb of God was pointing toward Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. So the issue is the separation, and that's where we have our differences. What fixes that separation? Okay. What fixes, and that's where it really comes to play. And so there are people that say that separation is fixed because, and we'll go through some of your answers, because I go to church on a regular basis, because God loves me, because I went through some religious hoop jumping. I was baptized, or I went to confirmation, or I memorized this verse or that verse, because I have been working really, really hard to be a good, decent, moral person. I go to confession, for instance. For, ah, I go to confession. Exactly right. I, and that's one of the religious hoop jumping ones. I, I do these things. Therefore, that gap has been fixed because I've done those things. Okay? Understand that that's where the breakdown happens with so many people in life is right there. How do I fix that gap? How do I get back to God? How is it that when I die and I'm confronted with God, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What's my answer? Well, because I fixed that gap, God. Okay? The Bible says the only way that gap can be fixed is by sacrifice of blood, a perfect sacrifice, through this thing that we're going to talk about in a moment called propitiation. The wrath of God being satisfied. Okay? That's how that's fixed. And only Jesus can do that. That's a good one, Daryl. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And in fact, and in fact, with that view, and, and what he said was, at least I'm not as bad as. There's Hitler. There's those bad people over there. And and those people will have no problem telling you that indeed there is a hell. But hell is only for the really bad ones. Exactly right. And and I'm certainly not there. Okay, because their sin is far worse. That's a really good point, is that we do that. And because we live in that it-seems-to-me world, okay? it seems to me that I'm not quite as and, and, and whatnot. So I, what, what we have here on a regular basis, what you're seeing here, when you understand people's worldview, what you're seeing here is there's a lot of man-made religions going on in our little brains. A lot. Okay? Yes? Sure it was. And to deify man, absolutely. Absolutely. I deify myself, make me worthy. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and, and Scott said they don't understand the word dead and, and you know, that we're born spiritually dead and then we need to... And a phrase that I've used, you guys may have heard me use this at a, at a funeral service, you may have heard me use it from the pulpit once in a while, is that if you die physically while you're dead spiritually, you're dead eternally. Okay? And that's a good phrase for us to understand. If we die physically while we're dead spiritually, we're dead eternally. Okay? There needs to be life. Let's look at some verses here real quick because we're, we're, I've I got to finish this today. I've got to finish this. Uh, Acts 4.12. I said look at some verses and I looked down to my verse and I didn't tell you where I was, did I? Oops. Acts 4.12. These are common, but I want you to know common. I want you to know these. And there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name 
under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Somebody quote with me, for me John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except for me. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. All right, here's the deal, and this is the deal, and it's the harsh reality. How do you get to heaven? Short version, using these two verses. Through Jesus. Who said, how dare you be that narrow-minded? And your answer is, I'm not being narrow-minded. I'm telling you what God said. It, it has, yeah. And the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Okay? Now, your argument is not with me today. If you struggle with that, your argument was with God. Not me. I'm the prophet today. I'm telling you what God said. I didn't say it. I didn't create it. I didn't make it up. I'm telling you what God said. Kent, how does God do that? We can have a discussion about some theological issues, but at the bottom, at the end of the day, you need to understand that that's what God said. Okay? And here's the really interesting thing. People say, well, how incredibly unfair is that? And you know what my answer to that is? What, are you kidding me? God has made it so clear it's ridiculous. Just go to Jesus. <laughs> he made it clear. You know what would have been unfair? If God would have not shared those words with us and when we got to heaven said, wrong guess. You tried, but oops. Exactly right. So we need to understand that the bottom line is people when say that when people say that's incredibly unfair, the answer is no, it's not unfair because he laid it out for you. Yes, sir. Very. If you believe, exactly, there it is. Exactly. And, and that's the beauty of it. So you and I are having this conversation, and you say, well, Kent, that's incredibly unfair. And I'm going to say, well, yeah, but Daryl, believe, and you'll be saved. Right? Believe. There it is. Let me lay it out for you. So your argument's no good anymore. And if you want to say, then what about him and him and him? Well, that's excellent. Get your ducks in a row, believe, and go tell him and him and him. And that's what we need to understand. Okay, we've got to go. Um, the next one is Acts 16.31, and I love this verse. I love this verse. Acts 16.31. Love it, love it, love it, love it. In Acts 16.30, after some things that went on there, and they brought Paul and Silas, and the jailer said, Sirs, what must I, be to, what must I do to be saved? I love that because here was God's big chance. Here was Luke's big chance, the writer of Acts. Here it is. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Next question. That's how you get saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we need to believe as, as Christians. We need to say, and we need to not be ashamed to say exactly what Daryl said. Yeah, this is exactly what Jesus Christ said. And then he said, if you want to believe, you can be saved. It's exactly right. Here it is. You want to believe? You can be saved. Let's look at some other verses. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 real quick. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. I delivered to you of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You want to know what the Gospel is? That's the Gospel. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. That Jesus Christ was buried. That Jesus Christ conquered death. And the Bible tells us about that. That's the gospel. And that's what people need to know to be saved. That's what they need to know to be saved. Of course, John 3.16 is a verse that you know, for God so loved, and that's one of the ones that Daryl is referring to, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him. God's, God is talking about that there will be somebody saved, that there is no distinction between all of the different people groups and ages and approaches to life and all of those things. Cross the spectrum Nobody is exempt from this. The gospel for humanity. Let's go to John 1.12. It 
It says in verse 12 of John 1, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. I want you to understand that your terminology is not nearly as important as understanding your theology. Whether you say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, receive the Lord Jesus Christ, ask Jesus into your heart, be saved, have your sins forgiven, I don't care what phrase you use, as long as you're understanding your theology behind those phrases. Okay? And the Bible uses a lot of those different phrases. It really does. And we need to understand that that's how you're saved. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you know these verses? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You are not saved by what you do. You are not saved by what you do. You are saved by what God did. You are saved by what God did, not by what you did. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the great exchange, a verse you need to be aware of. 2 Corinthians 5.21 you probably know this verse. You need to use this when you evangelize, when you talk to people. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what went on. All right? That's what happened. We must get this right. Okay? All right. We're going to end with a couple things. We're going to run out of time. Yeah. Yeah, and we did that, didn't I? That, that he rose again according to the Scripture. Did I read that verse? Yes. Yeah, that, that, that in, 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 15, in 1 Corinthians 15 there? Yeah, absolutely. And why is it important that we talk about the fact that he rose again? Yeah, he, he conquered death. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that, that, that says that he's the one that conquered death. So absolutely. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Okay, if your child is in... Um, uh, sixth grade, fifth grade, fourth grade, third grade, second grade, or first grade, they're getting this piece of paper. This is from the Gospel Project. It's a real simple gospel plan for us. God rules. Who's in charge? God's in charge. It talks about Revelation. We've sinned. Romans 3, we'll talk about that in a minute. God provided. John 3:16. plus we'll give you another one. Jesus gives. 2 Corinthians 5:21. We just did it. And then we respond. Romans 10. We'll get through that in just a moment. Okay? If your child is in the pre-kindergarten class, and first, second, or third grade, they are getting a copy of the wordless book today. Okay? And the wordless book, and you can ask them to go through that. Have them walk through that. Okay? All right? Sin stands for? Black stands for? Red stands for? White stands for? Purity, which is God. Gold stands for? Heaven, green stands for growth. Add green into the growth. And not only heaven, but also the gift. Gold can be a gift and or heaven. It's two. Okay, in there. They're going to hear that, and they're going to get this itty-bitty little book. Okay, these are the pre-kindergartners, uh, the kindergarten, first and second grade. They're getting this book today. All right? High schoolers, junior hires, they're not getting any cool paper. They're not getting any cool book, but they're getting the gospel. You guys aren't getting anything cool either. You're getting the gospel. All right? Let's go through Romans Road. Who knows Romans Road? I bet a lot of you. How many of you know Romans Road? You can, you can do it. Okay. The first verse in Romans Road is what? Romans 3.23. And I use these. This is my simple explanation in a funeral service. I, I will walk through Romans 3, uh, the Romans Road on a regular basis when I do a funeral service. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We talked about that already. You've sinned. You're born a sinner. You've sinned. Have you sinned? Have you broken God's laws? Virtually everybody you're going to run into is going to say yes to that. Now, there's going to be some rare exceptions to that. Chances are you're not going to run into that. And if you do have that exception, then it needs to be, well, your heart is nowhere near ready for this yet, so your conversation is about done. But there's going to be very, very few people you're going to run into that don't recognize that they have broken God's rules. Okay? Okay? Very few. Unless they're good church-going members, and I tell them that they should obey the government's laws, and then they always argue with me about breaking God's rules. Right? Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The next one, 6.23. 6, 
The problem with breaking rules, the problem with sinning is, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is? And we need to understand here that it's physical and spiritual. When Adam and Eve sinned, did they die physically immediately? No. Did something die physically immediately? You betcha. Absolutely. Animals were killed right away and death came into the world immediately. But mostly they died spiritually because Adam and Eve had a relationship with God and then all of a sudden they didn't have a relationship with God and the Bible calls that spiritual death. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the Bible also says that the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. And so what the Bible says is that there is a sin problem and there is a consequence to your sin, but there's a solution. God says, I want to give you something. I want to give you eternal life. And so we go to Romans 5.8. And it says, but God demonstrated, uh, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the solution to sin is that perfect sacrifice Jesus Christ, and Jesus died a long time ago. While we were yet sinners, he died. And why did he die? Well, you need to explain that. You need to talk about that that there needed to be a perfect sacrifice and the Lamb of God in the Old Testament and pointing up to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And he never sinned, never sinned. And he didn't die for his own sin. He died for your sin. Okay? Okay, and he died for you. All right? The, the uh, substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. A phrase you ought to know. Substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. He was my substitute and he paid the price. Okay? The reason that my death doesn't work is because... What? I'm imperfect. I'm imperfect. We're sinners. That's exactly right. My death doesn't work. I can't die for me and I can't die for you. But Jesus Christ gave up heaven, came to earth. You know that. That's what Christmas is all about. You understand that. He died on the cross. You know that too. You're an American. You know what Good Friday is all about. And he died on that cross, and he was buried, and he rose again. And you know all about that because you're an American, and you know what Easter's about. People know these things. They need to know these things, though. The next one in the Romans Road is 10, 9, and 10. What are you going to do with all that then? Well, the Bible goes on to one more step. And this is where you can talk about the Acts verses and John 3.16 verses um, that we talked about earlier. And it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now there's a handful of us that can remember when we were saved in this room. And it's an amazing thing because you can share your story with people and talk about that and I can share with them and I can say that there was a moment in time. There was a moment in time. And at that moment in time, I said, Lord, I understand that I'm a sinner and I understand that I need you to to pay for my sin so that I can once again be alive and have a relationship with God. And at that moment, I was saved. And, and, and by faith, we believe that there was a transformation instantly, new life in Jesus Christ. Believing and confessing. And you can talk about the Acts ones that we did, 4, 12, 16, 31. You can talk about John 3, 16 one. You can talk about Ephesians 2 one. You can talk about 1 Corinthians 15, 34. You can talk about 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And you add all those in. We must get this right. We're out of time. Your kids have gone through this today. I sent a note out to every one of the Sunday school teachers this week, and I said, the lesson is secondary. I want to talk about salvation today. This is what we need to make sure that we understand. I urge you, use this piece of paper, expand on this piece of paper, and use the the, the wordless book. And I'm going to do one more thing here. I'm going to do one more thing. And then we'll close. Don't be a parent. Don't be a parent. Don't be a grandparent. Who is willing to teach and instruct your children in all of the important things of physical life that matter not when they die and ignore the gospel. Don't be that parent. Don't be that parent that makes sure that you take your 
children to all of the places so they'll excel as a student and in extracurricular activities and ignore the gospel. Make sure that your children, your grandchildren, understand that there's a heaven and there's a hell and Jesus stands as the difference. What are you going to do with Jesus? This matters. And it's good for us to talk about on a regular basis. As I I said, it doesn't matter to me whether you believe your child is saved or not. Please talk to them today. Reiterate these things to them. And the last thing, and then we're done. I do not know the heart condition of every single person that's in this room. And And if you don't know Jesus, you know that. If you're trying to play a religious game, you know that. Talk to me, talk to Randall, talk to Willie, talk to one of the other guys, talk to Guyanne, talk to Adeline, talk to Scott, talk to Tracy, talk to these people that you know, know. And let us help you understand what salvation is all about, that you can be saved, because that's the thing that matters. After that, we do all this other cool dancing, but we've got to get that right. Father, thanks for our time together this morning. Thank you for Jesus Christ dying on the cross to take away our sins. That he was willing to do that for us is astounding. Thank you for salvation freely given. Thank you that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That he he satisfied the wrath of God. and That we stand uncondemned in the presence of God. Lord, I pray that the main thing would be the main thing in our lives. Above all other things, this thing would stand out head and shoulders with, above anything else. And Lord, I pray for individuals in this building, individuals that we know that we're witnessing to, that you would convict them, that they would want to know Jesus Christ their Savior and be saved, and that, Lord, you would get the honor and the glory because of the great work you do in people's lives. Use this lesson, use the Word, use the Spirit, to convict, to confirm, to grow. And may we glorify you through it all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.